This is Marco, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Episode 166 of the Yellow Wallpot. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, as always. And once again, I'm only joined by Mr. Lars Pollmann from Bleacher Report. Hello, Lars. How are you? Hi, Stefan. Yes, it's only me, but I'm still doing pretty fine. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, uh, everyone else has sadly forsaken us because we are recording this on a Wednesday night instead of a Thursday night. Because Borussia Dortmund will play against TSG Hoffenheim on Friday evening, which is why we want to publish this episode before the match obviously so yeah before we talk and preview the Hoffenheim game we will yeah have to look back at Borussia Dortmund's yet again disappointing away match 1-1 draw against SFC Köln and once we've done that and preview Hoffenheim then we will also look ahead to the game against Augsburg although we both already concluded that Lars and I don't have too much to say about that game since they just changed their coach or fired uh, Mr. Schuster. So um, that is that. And without any further ado, dear Lars, please talk me through the game against Cologne. What are your takeaways, if any? I was seriously disappointed with the performance. I think it was arguably the worst game they've played all season uh, with most of the guys available. I mean, there were a few games that might have been worse in terms of the performance when even more of their players were uh, out injured or just not available, uh, not healthy or whatever it was. But it was certainly worse than the Frankfurt game, which already was uh, fairly bad. And considering both how Cologne were without so many of their key players, we talked about that in the preview episode, and the fact that Dortmund actually looked very good for, let's say, 20 minutes. 10 minutes. <laughs> no, I, I would say they, they looked better in possession than they had since, I don't know, September maybe, or generally uh, since uh, Rafael Guerrero has been out and they have shuffled uh, their personnel in central midfield for the first 20 minutes or so. They looked really good, in my opinion. And then one simple mistake from uh, Marcel Schmelzer, who's not really playing his best football on a consistent basis at the moment for whatever reason. Uh, then he, a technical mistake from him, then uh, a bonehead-headed foul that he just didn't have to do. I don't know what exactly he was thinking. Maybe he was trying to win the ball back too quickly or whatever, but uh, giving away a simple free kick to a team that is somewhat limited in attack like Cologne is just not a very good idea. And then... It was almost a carbon copy of the goals they conceded twice against Ingolstadt from set pieces. And we've often talked about uh, set pieces actually being called sad pieces. And that was uh, one more iteration of that. So all in all, I mean, they got their goal at the end, which was fairly nicely done. They also should have had at least one, possibly two penalties Cologne should have gone down to nine men in extra time and not, or in stoppage time and not ten because 
the foul of uh, Marco Höger on Sokrates was a brutal, rash challenge. That should have been a red card and it was only a booking, but they didn't really deserve three points from the game, even though they had more chances than Cologne. They didn't even deserve one point, in my opinion. They should have actually lost the game. So considering the results on the match day on a whole, they actually made up some ground on some teams or didn't lose ground because uh, Hoffenheim and Frankfurt, for example, uh, drew themselves and Leipzig lost and some of the other results. So if we are looking at the Hertha loss, Hertha loss as well, yeah. Um, if we only look at where they were before the match they kicked off and where they are now, then a 1-1 draw at Cologne isn't all that bad and those other results helped as well. But if we consider the performance and once again, they looked so poor on the road, they, we can't really be happy with what transpired in Cologne, I don't think. Yeah, I don't know where to start. I mean, you actually more or less talked us already through the match, but um, maybe we start with the lineup. And uh, with Andre Schüller not making the squad, and I was scrambling for information uh, why he didn't make it, and it turned out Tuchel just left him out because I think Sokartis and Castro it were, or was 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 it Schmelzer, uh, who carried Knox, and he wanted to have Felix Paslak in the squad to make a replacement of sorts. Um, yeah, well, it was another three four two one formation, if you want to call it that. With a back three, Piszczek, Socrates, and Ginter. Uh, Piszczek was later on replaced by Batra. Um, you are, then there's Durm on the right side. How did you see his first start of the season? I wasn't impressed, to be honest. I've rarely been impressed with Eric Durm and uh, certainly wasn't on Saturday. And I sincerely hope it was his last start of the season as well. Because if if you play the, the, the back three, which I think is the right move for Dortmund, and I don't even mind playing Pischek over Batra simply because Batra hasn't been himself in recent games. Uh, but, you know, Felix Paslak has played well this season and that's the perfect role for him because he's so dynamic and he actually wants to uh, move forward all the time, but he has the sturdiness to defend well as well. But why not play him over Eric Durm, who whose first touch is incredibly poor, who doesn't have too much tactical awareness, who's basically more a sprinter than a football player, in my opinion. So it didn't make sense to play him over Pasluck, and they really uh, hurt uh, in that regard. I mean, if if you want to uh, be aggressive, you can even think about playing uh, Dembele or Pulisic as a right wing back because they at least have the stamina to run up and down the field. But, you know, playing Dorm out there was pretty much like playing with 10 men from the start and that wasn't really smart against the Cologne defense that was always going to be a massive block in front of their goal with five or six guys uh, committed to defending at all times more or less so yeah really a decision I can't get behind and I can't quite work out what Tuchel actually tried to accomplish with Dom there. Yeah it was also my biggest gripe coming away from this game that uh Paslak had to sit down on the bench while Dom was playing um, because, as you just said, he showed so much quality when he played earlier and, uh, yeah, sort of sad for him to, to not play right now. Um, I also was a bit surprised to see Dembele start once again with Pulisic fit um, and more or less rested after, I mean, he played 70 minutes against Real. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, Um you know, nothing, nothing too spectacular. And Dembele, yeah, that was his third start. And uh, Dembele started actually quite brightly. So you know, 
it looked like Dortmund were on the winning side for the first 10 minutes. You said first 20 minutes. I thought the first 10 minutes were excellent and the 10 minutes afterwards were still good. And then after Dortmund conceded, there was just nothing. And uh, it's a bit of Groundhog Day and we have this conversation almost every second week now, last, But again, to me, Dortmund lacked a lot of intensity and... At, at times, I, I felt that there was the, the, the fighting spirit was just not there trailing 1-0. I mean, this could obviously be down to philosophy, but is it really just that? Yeah, I think they, I think your assessment is probably correct that they could have done a bit more when, when they were down. I think we also have to give credit to Cologne, who, uh, under Peter Stöger are perhaps the best organized team in the Bundesliga outside of the, you know, the, the bigger name clubs. And uh, they really made life tough for Dortmund. But uh, as you said, they they could have, should have done more. There was just not really any intensity in the way they played. Uh, they had, I think they didn't have a single shot on goal until the 72nd or so minute uh, from uh, Reus. So uh, they they had a lot of possession as, as usual against a defensive side that uh, is without many of their key midfielders and some attacking players that, could have done some damage in counter-attacks, which Cologne actually still kind of did. Uh, in a few situations, they could have easily put a second behind Roman Weidenfeller, and that would have been game over, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, they once again also struggled with physicality, which has been a general theme for Dortmund for a good three or four years now, and not, that's not a Tuchel issue, that was a real issue under Klopp as well in the later stages of his of his tenure at the Westfalen Stadion. So I think Tuchel actually acknowledged the problems this team has with physicality and when the going gets tough, we have to do better or something. He said something along those lines. And it's really disappointing to see that so many times in a row now on the road that there's just too, too little intensity, as you would say, or not not enough uh, focus and precision in their play so i don't really understand why it's only what seems to be mostly at least a problem on the road because we've seen them beat bayern with a very convincing performance in my opinion at home and it, the team that was able to defend so well against bayern and limit them to mostly half chances and and one hopeful attempt from xabi alonso that clanked off the bar that same team should be able to put a focus uh, performance uh, on the pitch against the likes of Frankfurt and Cologne. So that, that up and down nature that we've talked about so often already this season is really showing again in the later stages of the Hinrunde. And it's just really disappointing and almost tiring to talk about it every every two weeks or every other game. Yeah, definitely. Uh, again, Dortmund were without Mario Götze and without Shinji Kagawa. Um think that makes a little difference um especially in this game i would have liked to see Götze start a little bit deeper maybe um because it was once again gonzalo castro um who is not in his best form and also limped into the match i heard so yeah he had to be taken off in the 55th minute but not before playing an excellent pass to who was it Höger or osako i don't i'm not sure but he the Cologne player then released Modest, and if it wasn't for Modest being completely on an ego trip and not squaring off to Rudness, who would have had a tap in it, you know, it would have been 2 nil. So, you know, that, that was kind of aggravating. And then, yeah, Castro went, went off and, and Rode came on. 
And uh, we talked a lot about depth, but I feel every time you have to bring on Rode for Castro, there's a lot of depth missing. And I'm sure we will talk about it in following episodes when the winter, uh, when the transfer uh, window opens. Then we will probably talk about midfielders. Dortmund might add just because uh, right now it doesn't really seem there there are too many options. Uh, the good news, if we look already ahead to Hoffenheim, is that Guerrero might return. I'm very um, well, not I'm I'm very pessimistic towards that, but nevertheless, he at least entered team training now, so um, there's at least a bit of hope that he might have an appearance this season. Uh, this this year before the before the turn of the year um so last um another talking point coming out of this game were probably the many fouls again from cologne 26 fouls uh Ozako himself had seven but no booking um mr i think felix Zweier was the referee uh do you think he was too lenient in this game well for starters i i want to preface uh my answer with the uh making sure that people understand that this time it wasn't uh, about Tuchel whining or whatever people criticized him for uh, earlier in the season. He he was asked about the number of fouls and he gave his opinion, but he didn't blame the team's loss on Cologne's uh, overly aggressive nature in terms of fouls or whatever. And Peter Stöger rightfully on, also pointed out that Dortmund amassed 18 fouls which given the fact that they had more than two thirds of the ball possession is a lot, is a really high number for Dortmund who I think they average less than 10 faults in most games these days. So that was really against their, their normal nature. But, um, coming back to Felix Zweier, I think uh, Osaku certainly should have been booked at some point because he was involved in 14 fouls uh, in, in total. And many of the fouls he, he got in his way were, events when he just went down after the slightest contact and his seven fouls all weren't terrible or, you know, brutal incidents, but it's some or tactical fouls more or less. Yeah, in, in some at some stage five or six or seven fouls are just too much and the referee has to acknowledge that with a with the booking, but you know, it didn't happen and it wouldn't have changed much. Uh, what would have changed the complex uh, complexity of the game would have been a sending off for Höger, as I think I mentioned before. Um, and also we have to talk about again Dortmund not getting at least one maybe two penalties they they deserved I mean the the same happened in Frankfurt where I think they should have had one penalty the the second incident when uh, Schmelzer pushed uh, Wolfgang Stark late in the game I don't think that was a penalty in Frankfurt but this time they should have had one for Socrates around the 60th minute and I mean yeah. from that point on High boot. yeah from that the, from that point on the, they, let's assume they hit the penalty. They have, they have 30 minutes to win the game. That's something I, I wouldn't put past Dortmund uh, with the morale boost and the individual quality on the pitch for them. Then, then uh, the the second penalty should have, I think it was around the 75th or so minute, a, a clear handball from Mergi Mafra, if I remember correctly. I mean that was extremely blatant, and I I can't for my life think of why. That's why I didn't uh, blow the whistle there because he had a great position to see the incident. It was an outstretched arm, uh, so the the short distance the ball traveled from Ramos midsection onto Mafra's uh, arm doesn't really matter because the the arm was in what the people like to call an unnatural position. So that was extremely blatant, as I said, and 
it, it as I said before, they they didn't really deserve uh, too much luck in my opinion. But you know that draw that that uh, call should have went their way, and it would obviously have changed much about the game. So we have to talk about it, I guess. Yeah, what I found is interesting uh, later on um, when we looked at the expected goal charts, it was I think. 0.7 to 0.7 or something so uh neither team really deserved anything more than a point just going by that what i found interesting because you earlier said that this was the worst performance uh you know considering by the personnel available um if we look at the same chart against frankfurt dortmund were clearly winning that you know they were just unlucky let's say in in not scoring or putting away their chances while frankfurt were very clinical um in this game Dortmund were just stifled by Cologne and didn't really create much, which is why I don't really remember any great opportunity before the equalizer. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong or if there's anything you remember that was worth noting. No, I, I think the Marco Reus had a shot like four minutes into the game. Um, yeah, something like that. But, but, but he, like, he he really skied and we can't really consider that a big chance. And then he had the first shot on, on target in the 72nd or so minute. But uh, you mentioned expected goals and the 0.7 for Dortmund. And I would argue that, or I would assume, let's say that... It's a season low. <laughs> both that that uh, is very low for them this season and also that the goal they actually scored was probably... 0.3 or 0.4 in and of itself uh, because it was from 12 yards and not too difficult a chance to put away so they really had that one opportunity and the rest were at best half chances and that's just with the personnel on the pitch as I said before I mean you had the the same front three with Aubameyang, Reus and Dembele who terrorized Gladbach and who for the most part looked fairly dangerous against Real in the Champions League and for the, for that grouping even though you talked about Dembele perhaps being better off getting a rest in that situation but with that group you would hope to trouble a Cologne team that is without their number one goalkeeper more than for the tune of 0.7 expected goals in a game <laughs> Yeah, I mean if it comes to Gladbach and Köln and Real Madrid, there is a saying, you're only as good as the opposition lets you. <laughs> and I guess Gladbach and Real were a bit more lenient in their defending than Cologne were, so hence the small number. But I agree with you, Dortmund still could have and should have done better considering the personnel, but they didn't. A uh, couple of words on Marco Reus uh, once again with the late equalizer. Um, otherwise, how did you see him? Uh, barely, so... <laughs> um, I mean, he just wasn't very involved. I mean, Aubameyang was even less involved. I don't think Aubameyang had had one shot or contributed to one shot, which, given his incredible run of form since, you know, the start of November, whenever we want to make the cutoff, uh, is really poor and, and just shows how they failed to get the ball into the dangerous spots on the field, even though they had 70 percent of the ball uh, in in terms of possession so but Royce he had what little chances Dortmund created he was on the end of those and and he really put away the equalizer fairly nicely and I guess uh, we can't expect him to be the the best player on the pitch week in week out so shortly after coming back from a six-month injury layoff Nah, definitely not, definitely not. Um, also, kudos to Dembele for that dribble in the, what was it, 
when was the goal in the 89th, 98th, 90th minute? Something, I think 90th minute actually, where he just, uh, yeah, made something happen against two or three Cologne players on the edge, then pass it to Ramos, who had a intelligent cutback to Royce, who put it away. Um, my, my big, my, sorry, my bigger kudos to Lembele go, uh, to the fact that he got someone else sent off and didn't get sent off himself because, <laughs> uh, I actually posted in our, uh, yellow wall pod Slack group, uh, is anybody not expecting Lembele to get sent off when he was booked after the halftime whistle? I mean, that, in in and of itself is fairly crazy to believe. Uh, yeah, to, to, should, should he have been sent off for that? I think he was at least a little lucky because he had a small kick out at was it Dominic Heinz? Yeah, I think yeah. it was him. So, I mean, it would have presumably been a bit harsh to send him off for that because he didn't really connect with the player in the, the game. While there were many fouls, it wasn't very aggressive from the the, the stands from the supporters or whatever. So it would have been harsh, but. You know, a, a more letter of the law referee, you know, the, the one that sent off, uh, Timothy <laughs> the Chandler. Wolfgang Stark. The Wolfgang Stark, definitely, but also the one who sent off Timmy Chandler on Friday, uh, in the Frankfurt Hoffenheim match, or also the, the ref who sent off Emre Moore earlier in the season against Hertha probably would have, uh, shown him the red card. So, but, you know, he, he, after halftime kept his composure. I'm sure Tuchel talked to him about the, the incident and, as I said, he got Zali Ochkan uh, sent off from Cologne late in the game and didn't pick up a second booking himself. So I'm actually fairly pleased he he managed to stay relatively calm throughout the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was almost happy with myself because for Aubameyang on my ESPN rating, I wrote that he had a deja vu in a locker room as he found his phone and it had no service. Um but sadly, it had service, and he tweeted out a uh, nice referee with a angry emoji. So, some something that I don't really appreciate when when players, uh, yeah, air their frustrations on on social media like that, because I I always think that reflects bad on you in in the long term. Uh, I don't know, did he delete the tweet or not? But um, yeah, sort of sums up the mood overall for Aubameyang and and the entire team after the game. So. I guess we can now segue into our preview against Hoffenheim. And uh, last we now talked a little bit about fouls and and sending offs and this and that. And uh, I know where this is, I know where this is going. Yeah, maybe, but uh, actually, it's not going there because yes, Hoffenheim also had a lot of fouls in their match against Frankfurt. But I was going to say that uh, due to all the fouls now, Mr. Socrates who already had a bruised foot from the Real Madrid game will probably miss against Hoffenheim. Um, and this is for me my biggest concern because we've all seen the Batra Ginter center back partnership a couple of times this season and, uh, most infamously against Ingolstadt in Ingolstadt, a 3-3 draw. If you want to remember and Ingolstadt could have had, I don't know, five goals, maybe even. So that wasn't really good and. Hoffenheim, of course, still the only unbeaten team in the league, uh, given they had seven draws, but that also means they had seven wins. So, you know, well done, Nagelsmann and his boys. So, um, Lars, can we be a bit more optimistic about the game in general? Because Dortmund had a couple of days to train on the training ground, or is it an away game like Cologne and Frankfurt and we... Uh, have to consider its strong opposition and Dortmund will probably lose or draw. 
Well, first of all, I'm shocked that you didn't go the Sandro Wagner route when you talked about fouls and ugly games and seg well, segwaying into, everyone... into the Hoffenheim uh, part <laughs> of the show because we all know that Sandro Wagner is the ugly German in the Bundesliga. But uh, Everyone here has his role to play on the Yellow Wall Pot and how would I dare to take that away from you? Yeah, thanks for that then. Um, but <laughs> going to the, the, the actual match itself, I think it's going to be a really tough spot for Dortmund. They haven't looked too great uh, in Sinsheim or wherever that stadium is uh, located in southwest Germany. Uh, you said before we started recording they haven't won there in four years or something along those lines. Yeah, the last three games over there all yielded in draws and Dortmund yeah, haven't won there in four years, which is a lot. And Probably since Hoffenheim's promotion. <laughs> and we remember the first game of uh, Nagelsmann's first team career, or maybe it was the second game, but it was at Dortmund, uh, a really tough game for Dortmund, I think, late Adrian Ramos winner, if I'm not mistaken. And it's the kind of team that gives them trouble because they are both compact and aggressive. They uh, are very flexible in their tactics, so I'm sure Nagelsmann will have them prepared to give Dortmund trouble with man-orientated pressing in midfield and all the things that uh, Luca mentioned in his nice article for the Yellow Wall Pot a few weeks ago now. So, as I said, a really, really tough opponent to play. And then you mentioned already the Socrates news. If he's out, their defense is in a lot of trouble. They are in trouble with Socrates being the best player on the team in on, on the season, I would argue, still. And even though, Ahead of Aubameyang? yeah, I, I, I would know. say so. Uh, although Zucrates uh, wasn't great against Cologne, but then again, Aubameyang was non-existence against Cologne, so <laughs> no. that that equals each other out. So um, the one hope I would have is that uh, Sven Bender has now been in team training a few weeks, or you know, let's say two weeks. He, I, I wouldn't be shocked, let's say, if if he made a comeback against Hoffenheim, and then you can play a three at the back with. Um, Pischek, Bender and, uh, Ginter or the Bartra instead of Pischek if you need to, or it, actually, I w we should hope for that because they don't, uh, wouldn't play a dorm on the, uh, the right wing back spot then. But, you know, if Bender can come back, that is a bit of a remedy for the presumable, um, Socrates unavailability. But, uh, if, if Bender can't play and Socrates can't play, Sandro Wagner, for as terrible as he is as a player, will probably score a brace just because I said I don't like him. <laughs> I don't, I don't know about that, but, um, yeah, Hoffenheim have produced a couple of chances this season. Um, you pointed out that they have the, what is it, fourth best goal difference in the league, having scored 25 and uh, conceded 14 goals. So that is that, um, Looking at Hoffenheim's form, they won two out of their last five, so three draws. So that there, there we go. That's that's something to be positive about, I guess, for for a Dortmund perspective that uh, they haven't won too many games. Well, one of those draws, uh, sorry, Stefan came at Bayern, so that, that doesn't count as a bad result for them. And I think they were really unlucky. But one one of those draws came at. Hamburg. No, it no. came at home against Hamburg, which exactly, which is the the one result that should give us some hope. Uh, but uh, Hamburg haven't. It was Gisdol facing his yeah, own and Hamburg haven't been know. terrible uh, or as terrible as as usual lately. So 
it's always dangerous to read too much into uh, past performance. Uh, let's not forget that we talked about Cologne losing 4-0 to Hoffenheim in the preview episode last week, and then they allowed like two chances for Dortmund. So you know, never, never put too much stock into past performances. And if you want to look at past performances, it's probably better to look at uh, performances uh, against the team you are facing. And you know, Hoffenheim have done fairly well in the last few matches against Dortmund, even if we include some of the, the cup matches. I think they played twice in the DFB Pokal in the last few years, and those were tight games. So there's always... I mean, Hoffenheim or Sinsheim or wherever that maybe is not necessarily known as the loudest stadium in the world, but Dortmund and especially Hans-Joachim Watzke have given them a lot of fuel over the last few years, or especially early in Hoffenheim's Bundesliga time, in, you know, six years ago or so. So the, you know the the crowd will be more fired up for Dortmund than they usually are. It's a Friday game; they are really well posi positioned in the table. You know, Nagelsmann has his uh, lads playing really good football, and, and you know it's it just generally a really tough fixture for Dortmund. Yeah, definitely. It was Hoffenheim who ended that uh, what was it eleven game winning streak or, or something uh, last year, where Dortmund uh, with all the Europa League qualification matches had. A couple of wins already on their belt and then traveled away to Hoffenheim. I think it was also a Friday night game. No, no I think it was a was mid it a midweek yeah. game. Uh, I mean, the, w maybe if the, uh, Hoffenheim was on Friday and then Darmstadt was the midweek game, but they certainly had one of those uh, one of those two games they failed to win after their record breaking start under Tuchel was uh, against Hoffenheim. So yeah, I don't quite remember, but it was certainly under the floodlights. So yeah, that I remember too, and it wasn't the greatest game from Borussia Dortmund ever, but, you know, that that is uh, how it usually is in Hoffenheim for Dortmund. It's a tough match, and, um, yeah, like you, I'm not too optimistic just because of the things already mentioned, uh, not only because Dortmund are limping once again, no Socrates, I don't know if Guerrero and Kagawa will be fit for the game, so that's that's a question mark. I'd be um, I'd be very very surprised to see Guerrero. At, certainly, uh, I mean, he, I I would rule out that he can start after. I yeah, mean, it's uh, been what six weeks or so, and and then coming off the bench, you never know how much impact he can have. And uh, I mean, I've I've talked about this before and, and tweeted about it. I think it's kind of hilarious how everyone expects Dortmund to get magically better when whenever Guerrero comes back because he's played a grand total of four matches in central midfield. So he's been used more on the wings than in, in central midfield. Uh, and just assuming that, that he will be the, the remedy to all their problems in the middle of the park is, is asinine, uh, and, and really something intelligent people shouldn't do. And, and I mean, I've, I'm myself, uh, am a bit guilty of having too much hope, I guess, for, for his return, but we should really, We should really not expect too much of him if he can't even can even play in the in the last two games before the winter break. Well, the narrative isn't that he f magically fixes all the problems, but at least a couple Dortmund have, and uh, you know, obviously, if he returns now after how what what was it six weeks or, or so being out and then two days in in team training or three, he won't make that much of a difference anyway. But let's say he had like. I don't know, six, seven weeks of, of regular games under his belt and, uh, you know, would link up with the likes of, of Royce now. I think Dortmund would be, 
way further in their development as they currently are. But that's obviously just speculation on my behalf. So you you might be right that uh, he isn't all that. Um, but yeah, that's that's only only an assumption. Uh, but nevertheless, Dortmund uh, have to cope without him. Um, but we might see the first start of all three: Aubameyang, Götze, and Royce at once. Uh, maybe even Dembele. I, I think Dembele will start again over Pulisic or more. What's your guess on that? Well, I'm not, <clears throat> sorry, not uh, overly convinced that uh, Mario Götze will start. I haven't actually heard that he's back in team training, so you may be better informed than I am on that on that situation. But um, if he can come back, it would certainly help Dortmund just because it would perhaps mean that Castro doesn't, either doesn't start, which I guess would be ideal since he's been in absolutely terrible form recently. Or it would mean that Castro won't have the responsibilities deep on the, uh, in possession, uh, dropping next to Weigel, uh, in the build-up. That's just not Castro's forte. It's not necessarily Götze's either, but he's more of a strategical mind. He can play there in the pinch. And if they, if they need him there, he can, uh, make a better impact than Castro has in recent weeks. So that would certainly help Dortmund. And then up front, you know, I mean, Aubameyang and Reus are guaranteed starters, especially with the four or five training days for Reus. There's no reason for him not to start again. If if this was the the midweek match against uh, Augsburg already, I would probably think Reus wouldn't start, but I don't see any reason why he wouldn't start against Hoffenheim. And then you have uh, the question of Dembele, Pulisic and Schürrle, I guess. Two of those three will... will should start, I guess. So let's hope it's Dembele and, and, uh, and Pulisic and not Schurle because he's not been in too great a form either. So that's that. Yeah. I, I think when we look at, at Götze in midfield, uh, ahead of Castro, <laughs> I think the, the determining factor against Hoffenheim should be pressing resistance. And I think Götze is more or has more of that than Castro. And lest we forget, Götze is also a more, or not, so, not a more, but a, a better uh, player Inform. player in defense. I mean, Castro tends to be a bit lackadaisical. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't make all the runs defensively. He can be overrun. Uh, we've seen him pushed off the ball far too easily, both against Real again and against uh, Cologne in the last two matches. And Götze... Even though people think of him, uh, you know, from the first uh, Dortmund days as this, this dribbler and goal scorer and whatever, he's really strong in counter pressing, much like Kagawa. And he uh, is intelligent enough to contribute uh, through positioning and he wins tackles uh, in a better rate than Castro uh, does for Dortmund. And with Hoffenheim in good form, I don't think they will sit back all the time. I think they will probably try to hit Dortmund. Uh, in an open fight in midfield and not from a counter-attacking stance all the time at least. So um, Götze's better defensive stability he provides would, would also be uh, an important factor here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, do you expect Hoffenheim to maybe also play in the back three as they have a couple of times with Zulu, Hübner and Vogt? Yeah. Polanski ahead of them. Yeah, I'm, It's uh, a 3-1-4-2 formation day. Sometimes played against uh, Ander Nagelsmann. Yeah, I'm not uh, 
too familiar with their the personnel at the moment because I haven't seen many of their games recently. Um, but I would think that they'll come out with much of the same formation that they used at Bayern because, you know, it really worked well against them and uh, it seems to be the, the formation Nagelsmann likes against strong opponents with uh, good midfield players, so... I, I I think they played that uh, for the first time, perhaps even then at the Allianz Arena. So dusting it off again, I'm, I think they they actually played that for most for the most part ever since. Uh, at least you know from the starting formation, I mean, they they obviously uh, change around a lot of things during the games, which is one of the strengths of Nagelsmann that that his team is ready to make those uh, adjustments during the game when other Bundesliga teams struggle going out of their comfort zone, let's say. So, but as I said, I don't think they'll sit back with five guys in front of, uh, Oliver Baumann, their goalkeeper and try to hit Dortmund on the court. There's, there's no reason for them to, to play that defensively. I mean, they've enjoyed a terrific first half of the season so far and they must believe in their chance to, uh, win against Dortmund and not come away with perhaps one point like, some of the other teams we've seen against them in recent weeks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Nagelsmann already said that he is uh, anticipating to beat Tuchel. <laughs> so, um, you know, there is uh, no holding back for Hoffenheim. I mean, they travel to the Allianz Arena uh, confident of going for the win and not just sitting back. And uh, if I might add, I've seen a couple of games of Hoffenheim and uh, if there's one thing they can't do or actually are not good it might have changed over time now, of course, but uh, finishing off counterattacks has been abysmal, um, especially in their win against Schalke. They had like three or four two on one or three on one or three on two counterattack situations where they just couldn't uh, apply the finishing touch. And uh, yeah, that, that reoccurred in a couple of other games where they yeah had a lot of space, but somehow the runs weren't... Um, yeah, perfect. And I think Kramaric and both Sandro Wagner were culprits of being a bit too uh, selfish. So, um, you know, that's maybe a slight hope for Dortmund that they, uh, if they concede a counterattack, which they probably will at some point in this game, uh, uh, will have the bit of luck that Hoffenheim just botched, but now I probably jinx it. So there, um, yeah, any, any players Dortmund should especially look out for? Maybe Rudi Midfield, Demir Bay, Kaderabek, Amiri? I think Nagelsmann said that a few of his guys are questionable, but he doesn't want to give anything away to Tuchel, which is almost a childish thing to say for a Bundesliga head coach. But, uh, if he, I don't really remember, I think Kaderabek was on one of the guys he mentioned and Demir Bay too, uh, that, that might be unavailable, but, the the guy I would focus on anyway is uh, Nadim Amiri, a really young, talented midfielder. I think he's 19 now, or could still be 18. Or 20. Is he 20 already? Uh, yeah, it's already very old. A, already a senior citizen then. Um, I think he has the, the potential to play uh, for the other side uh, fairly soon. I don't know that Dortmund necessarily are interested in signing him, and Hoffenheim will certainly not be interested in giving him away, but uh, he's really good. He is creative, good technician, uh, doesn't score too many goals, but gets in the right positions uh, at times at least. Um, Contract runs out in 2018. And he, I mean, for a then 18, 19 year old to play so many minutes for a team that 
uh, fought against relegation for much of last season and then under Nagelsmann especially he's exploded and I think he's really really something to to look out for from from both a Dortmund perspective on Friday and just in general because he's going to be a a, a really good player for for someone for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know uh since we're talking about Hoffenheim right now um do you think Nagelsmann will ever replace Tuchel at at some point? Cause that has has been rumored that Dortmund were highly interested in Nagelsmann before he signed a more permanent deal with with the Kreichgauer. Uh, when you said that he's going to replace Tuchel, I, I automatically assumed at Bayern, <laughs> because <laughs> because I don't really see uh, Dortmund going for uh, Nagelsmann in when does Tuchel's contract run out? Twenty eighteen. Two thousand eighteen. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm. I would think they will go for someone with some uh, at least European experience. Then again, of course, Nagelsmann might pick up some <laughs> European experience relatively soon because he has his team in what is it, fourth place, fifth place right now, something along those lines. And they yeah. they they really look a good bet to me at least to to come into you know Europa League spots at the end of the season. So he's certainly a guy to look out for. Uh, I've been more impressed with him this season since he's fixed some of the defensive problems they still had under him last season when they, I mean, Hoffenheim was one of those teams that always seemed to concede at least 40 goals a season, whoever was at the helm as a head coach. So and they have now conceded one goal per game on average, which uh, is it, is a very good uh, defensive record for anyone but Bayern and uh, sadly not this season, but usually <laughs> Dortmund. So. He's really, I mean, all the praise he, he has received and, I mean, the, the, the Nagelsmann hype has already died down a bit because there was a time in around September, October when I think Rory, uh, what's his last name? Rory Smith yeah, of the, of the Times wrote a, wrote a big piece on him and every other uh, English outlet seemed to have, seemed to run something on him as well when, when people finally took notice of a freaking 28 year old coaching a Bundesliga team <laughs> which is fairly unusual of course so I mean that that hype has already died down a bit but certainly a coach that has a very bright future ahead of him and, and with, will in most uh, likely move to a bigger club than Hoffenheim before too long yeah so uh, with that uh, I will ask for a prediction now yeah not overly optimistic bunch we are today, I think. Uh, <laughs> I said before we started recording that uh, a draw would be almost the best case scenario uh, at Hoffenheim on Friday, but I'm not convinced they're going to get one, so I'm going for a 2-1 Hoffenheim win. Huh. It's, I think that might, might might be the first time I uh, actually went against Dortmund in the prediction. Maybe I did in, in, in the Bayern preview once or twice, but in a normal game, I usually think they get, can at least get a get a point, but I just don't really see it this time. You know, I'm a bit torn in uh, mirroring that prediction because I think Dortmund might look a little different coming out of uh, almost whole week of training. Um, but then again, I know Hoffenheim will probably have Dortmund's number tactically. So uh, with that in mind, I will settle for a draw, um, a 1-1 draw. So... Um, yeah, Dortmund aimed for seven points in the last three games. They dropped already two against Cologne, so it means they actually have to win the last two. And uh, when Hoffenheim is done and dusted, the away game to Augsburg, uh, 
no, the home game to Augsburg isn't too far away. Tuesday night, uh, so two floodlight games left. Um, we mentioned earlier, Augsburg fired their coach. Who did they replace him with? I don't even know his first name, which uh, tells you a lot about my deep, <laughs> deep knowledge of his tactical acumen. Uh, his last name is Baum. And he was the head coach of Unterhaching, I think I read today, a few years ago in the third or fourth division. Used to be a goalkeeper, I read also. Uh, I don't know that that makes too much of a difference. And he was the head of the academy or something along those lines for Augsburg is for a year or two. So typical caretaker manager taking over until they 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 sign a new permanent manager, but. I mean, everyone, and I mean literally everyone knew that uh, appointing Dirk Schuster of Darmstadt after Markus Weinzierl, who left for Schalke, was a bad move. And it's it's almost comical to think that they actually paid a transfer fee for a coach who they then fired after, what, five months of the season and everyone kind of saw it coming. So it's, it's uh, both sad and uh, hilarious at the same time. Yeah, Manuel Baum is his full name. <laughs> Uh, and he replaced Dirk Schuster. So now we have all the full names here on the show and it gives a little insight on how prepared we are. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, that's the thing about change of personnel at the coaching helm. You ne really never know what you will get in the next game. Uh, Dortmund will actually have a little insight as Augsburg will go up against Gladbach. I think Augsburg will play at home. So that means they have good chances to bounce back. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, but I, I don't, I don't really see that Dortmund should have too many difficulties playing Augsburg at home. Augsburg right now 13th in the table. Yes, they can be a bit of a pain as they have shown against, I think, Leverkusen it was, uh, where they held them to a scoreless draw or Frankfurt even. But, uh, yeah, I think Dortmund should be fine, at least at the Westfalenstadion. How, how long is that, uh, unbeaten record at home now last 30? Four, thirty-five games in the in the Bundesliga. Um, certainly, ever since Tuchel took over, and I think they didn't lose the the final two or three home matches under Klopp either. So, you know, something between thirty and forty should be should be about right. But you know, Augsburg, <clears throat> for for however bad they've looked uh, on the attacking side of things, which comes to the surprise of exactly nobody uh, once they signed Dirk Schuster as their head coach. They they haven't shipped. Too many goals, which is obviously important for a team in a relegation fight. That's why their goal difference is only minus five, which is fairly, fairly impressive actually for their, for their uh, terrible attack. I mean, they've conceded more than two goals in a single game only twice. And uh, one of those was uh, against Bayern. So that doesn't count for a team like Augsburg, I would think. So. They they won't get slaughtered at the Westfalen Stadion, I don't think, unless their 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 caretaker manager doesn't get them, you know, doesn't reach the players or whatever you want to call that. But as you said, uh, if if Dortmund struggle against Augsburg at home, we can basically uh, call off the rest of the season because they don't deserve to come even in the in the Europa League spots at the end of the year, especially with Augsburg again missing a few of their their key players. I think. Uh, both uh, Jeffrey Howellau or Gouveleuf or however the hell this weird Dutchman is pronounced is out with a collapsed lung. <laughs> Jeffrey Gouveleuf. Yeah, I, don't know. I, I think the 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 the, the accepted 
pronunciation from German commentators is Howelau. I, uh, I have no clue whether that's correct or not, but whatever it is. Um, Jan Ingvar Kaisenbrack, another center back, is probably going to be out. Um, Kayubi, Raoul Bobadilla, and Alfred Finnbogason, three of the players who could and maybe would start most of these games in attack are out. So Definitely, yes. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Dortmund fans remember the, the, the great, the legend, the great, the, the legend, the, the undisputed master of disaster for Dortmund, Dong Wonji, who never cut it at Dortmund, but tends to score against them. Or I think he actually only scored against them once, but that wasn't a big spot. Uh, he's starting most of these games for Augsburg nowadays. And that tells you all you need to know about their lacking attacking prowess. So anything other than a fairly easy win for Dortmund would be a shock to everyone who both saw Dortmund dispatch of most of their opponents at home under Tuchel and who saw a little bit of Augsburg this season. Yeah, maybe it will be ex-Schalke, uh, Jan Moravec and Halil Altintop somehow finding the goal and Jatro uh, Ku isn't too bad either, <laughs> I think, offensively at least. And um, there's always Markus Vollner lurking around with a shot from distance that might magically find the net. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, is, is Takashi Uzami still playing a role in Augsburg? I don't think I've I seen mean, him. Uh, I think they signed him this summer and he has not yet played a role. I don't I don't think he ever had one for them, but Yeah, well, that can change under Manuel Baum, of course. Yeah, I I, I mean usually those caretaker managers I, I think we saw that in Bremen and in a few other spots as well they they usually bring up some guys they know from the youth ranks or the under 23 team. Now, now this caretaker manager wasn't actually a coach. He was the head of the academy. So I don't know that he's too familiar with, you know, the, the under 23 players or whatever. So the, the thing is, or the good thing for Dortmund is that it's not the first game after the coaching change. They at least have 90 minutes to look at. It. And as you said, they, they play Gladbach at home, which should allow them to, to not sit back with 10 defenders all the time because Gladbach on the road are, are even worse somehow uh, than Dortmund, both in terms of results and performances, not only this season, but last season as well. So they will at least have those 90 minutes to dissect on, the, on in terms of the video and, and will have some sort of idea how this caretaker manager goes about his business. Yeah, and I will now blindly, as always, <laughs> predict a 3-1 win for Dortmund and that should uh, send them into the winter break on a positive note. Although I think if you if you don't win against Hoffenheim, it will always have a sour taste, you know. But yeah, yeah. You go on, Lars. Yeah, I think three one sounds about right. As I said, they don't concede too many goals. I don't think that will change. But Dortmund have looked sumptuous in attack at home this season and the entire season, and not only in the Bundesliga but also the Champions League. So I can't really see them struggle too much. So three one sounds about right. With that concluded, we are. Uh, Turn our attention now to the Champions League once again. Um, Borussia Dortmund drew Benfica. Uh, another game in Lisbon. I think they already dispatched Porto and Sporting over the last two seasons in uh, the European competitions. Now Benfica last. Obviously a bit tougher than the other two, considering they are right now not only the title holders in the Liga Nord, but also, uh, again, the table toppers. So... Do you think a uh, foregone conclusion for Dortmund to reach the quarterfinals or no? 
well, certainly no foregone conclusion, but it was, I would say, the second best uh, draw they could have gotten. I think Porto, just because of the familiarity and the the having beaten them soundly in the Europa League last season, that would have been an even better draw for them. But Benfica was, as I said, the second best. Uh, Benfica was actually the worst uh, of the second place teams. Uh, statistically in the in the group stage they were in a group with Napoli, Besiktas and Dinamo Kiev and they lost uh, at home to Napoli on the final match day and were lucky that uh, Dinamo won 6-0 against Besiktas or Benfica would play in the Europa League uh, from February on so just in terms of that uh, that that should be a manageable draw for Dortmund and I talked about familiarity with Porto earlier, and I, I think having played both of the other giant Portuguese clubs should help them because I would assume that in their preparation for those games against Porto in Sporting, they probably looked at Benfica videos because you usually watch teams against the best opposition they face, and that's in Portugal, that is Benfica, and so they, they should have a leg up on preparations for, for their video analysis and whatever they do, so... I mean, Benfica, uh, German fans may remember them playing Bayern last year in the quarterfinals. They're not a bad team, even though they tend to lose their, their most talented players every year, which I think Dortmund fans can relate to in some ways. Um, <laughs> yeah. they, they, they lost, you know, uh, Jan Oblak and uh, Nico Gaetan to Atletico over the last two years, Renato Sanchez to Bayern. They, they used to bring out Great talents every every year, more or less, with you know Angel Di Maria and whoever else. So it's a it's a club that has always uh, has uh, a strong young talented core, but they don't really put it together in, in into two dominant teams that that Dortmund should uh, have too much trouble with. You know, they defended well against Bayern in the quarterfinals last season, so might not be easy to expand on the uh, goal fests that the group stage provided for Dortmund, but at the end of the day, Dortmund are distinct favorites in this matchup, I would say. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think you more or less said it all now. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a matchup to look forward to. Um, although Ralf Rangnick rendered it re irrelevant, Benfica have a lot of club members and are one of the biggest clubs in the world in that regard, and so are Dortmund. So um, that should be at, at least a, a cool atmosphere surrounding those games at the Estadio Duluth and so on and so forth. But we will obviously talk about these games come February and March. So without any further ado, Lars, it's time to end the show. And uh, you telling the people where they can find your written work and your ramblings on Twitter. Yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at Lars Polman, just my name, and uh, my written work on a more and more, more or less uh, daily basis for BleacherReport.com. And you say it with me, Stefan, on occasion for the Yellow Wall Pod. Yeah, on occasion for the Yellow Wall Pod. I also write, you can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can find my writings on ESPNFC. Um, and yeah, if you want to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher, you can do that. And uh, if you just want to download it via the homepage, you can go on yellowwallpod.com and do that. Also, you can follow the podcast on Twitter 
at yellowwallpod and find under the same name the page on Facebook as well. So there you go, Lars. It was a pleasure, as always, talking to you. Uh, we will be back after the uh, Augsburg match. Uh, I don't know if we will just discuss the game or we'll have an entire Hinrunde review or whether we will do that in the single show. You uh, will obviously hear from us then. And yeah, for the Augsburg game, I will be back in Dortmund, which means the next time you hear from me, uh, I will be near my pop killer. So... um That's something, I guess. Yeah, that was episode 166. Goodbye.